And then every single comment that I'm seeing on the full image that he posted a few weeks later is in all caps, Oh my god, help me someone. Oh my god, he's so beautiful. What? OMG, finally, I'm crying. Everybody stay calm. <laughs> Thank you, kind sir. I'm dead. <laughs> Key smash. <laughs> Adrian just, he just looks like every other blonde kid from every cartoon ever. It's, he's just so generic, I don't get it. Yeah. I'm also not, I'm also not straight, so maybe, (laughs) maybe he's just the most attractive boy on earth and I can't, like, understand it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll make the cold opening for this episode, us talking about how we don't think Adrian's hot. Dude, oh, there's even more stuff uploaded now. Not a fan of Adrian's look, but (laughs) you know what? That's the intro. <laughs> uh, welcome to Spots On, a miraculous analysis. I'm Maggie. And I'm Ava. And Ava, do you have any ladybug news for me? It's been a while, so a lot has happened. It has been a while. Um, my ladybug news is actually news that you informed me of a couple weeks ago. Uh Jeremy Zag on his Instagram, which I think is just, yeah, it's just Jeremy Zag, one word. He's been uh, posting preview images uh, of the Miraculous movie, not to be confused with the Miraculous specials, which are hour-long, hour-long? 45 minutes? I don't know. Specials (laughs) uh, that are taking place. They had the one in New York, and they're also having one in China. But uh, the preview images for this movie look so good. <laughs> it's The animation looks so appealing, and I love the character designs, and I wasn't expecting to love them this much. Um, but it looks really, really good visually. I don't think there's any uh, footage yet, other than the one leaked clip that they had like a year ago. Somebody leaked it onto YouTube or something. Um, but just the the characters have sort of changed art styles a bit and the rendering is a bit better and it looks really really good and i am unexpectedly excited for this movie now (laughs) yeah i i don't know a lot about like what makes animation good but i still like looking at the images i i liked it i still thought it looked good even though it's hard for me to articulate what it is that's different yeah it's mostly like uh lighting and texturing it looks like which i mean the TV show already has good texturing, but also if they're using completely different models, then that means that the rigs and stuff are probably just better than the ones that they were using before, too. But it looks, I mean, it looks really good. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Zag, uh, his Instagram, I I just recently started following him on Instagram, and it it's wild. I don't know if Jeremy <laughs> Zag runs his own Instagram or if it is run by a, mar- a marketing team, but it's mostly pictures of characters from uh, other Zag entertainment properties. There's always there's always some kind of a heart emoji in the caption, either like heart eyes or just a heart or this big like glossy-eyed smiley face. 
it just it makes him seem like he has a crush on all of his characters. Yeah, he's actually just a 14-year-old that's uh, been deceiving us. Uh, he's not actually in charge of uh, Zag. He's just he's just a, he's just a kid who's taken over this account and is impersonating Jeremy Zag. Jeremy Zag. He's just a kid named Jeremy. He happened to has the same name. People flocked to him, <laughs> and he <laughs> he capitalized on it. Um, he he recently posted about Lady Lion, which is a new superhero that I guess is coming to uh, Miraculous Adventures, is what he said, but he didn't specify if that meant the show or the comics by the same name or maybe one of the specials. Um, she's called Lady Lion, not Lioness. Lady Lion. And uh, she, I like her design. She looks very cool, but the, the caption was so off-putting. The caption said, and I'm re- I wrote this down in my notes for this episode when I read it. <laughs> it, it, it. This is exactly how it was written when it was initially posted. The real chief of the jungle is not a king, but a queen! Exclamation point. And the only capital letter in that sentence is the Q at the beginning of Queen. <laughs> um, I need to break this down. The real chief. <laughs> the real chief of was rhetoric. Yeah. <laughs> the real chief of the jungle. Chief of the jungle is not a thing. This is not a turn of phrase that I have ever heard before. I went to the. I went as far as to Google it. It's not a thing. <laughs> There's. No, I've heard like. King of the jungle, chief of the jungle is just not a thing. And then he poses this this false dilemma here: the real chief is not a king but a queen, as if there, as if we were assuming that this thing he made up was going to be gendered. <laughs> <laughs> and the only capital word is queen because she's so important, and that's very cool. Um, also, the caption says that she is uh, in Africa, but didn't get more specific than that. Um, just just Some, on the continent somewhere- of Africa. Yeah, somewhere on the continent, um, like, if you said North America, you know, it could be America, it could be Canada, it could be Mexico, those are mm-hmm. three very different places, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere on it, there. <laughs> yeah, the the whole thing reminded me of, I took a screenwriting class once with, with a, a man who, um, who, he, he was a very experienced screenwriter. I'll tell you off mic uh, what kind of movies he wrote, because I think you, you know what, I'll tell it to you now and edit it out. This guy wrote... Oh shit! What, <laughs> dude? I haven't seen in like a decade. I've been mm-hmm. seeing like TikToks about it, about people watching it, uh, and I really want to watch it again. <laughs> I did recently, and it does not hold up. But um, <laughs> but uh, in his screenwriting class, there was a day dedicated to um, the unconventional protagonist. He just emphasized again and again that a really unconventional protagonist is a protagonist that's a woman instead of a man. And he said this again and again and again. He kept bringing it up. He's like, oh, and and this protagonist of mine was so unconventional because, you know, they were a scientist and, like, not even a man scientist, a woman scientist. Uh, and, and except for, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing a little, I think he actually said girl scientist. <laughs> A 12-year-old female scientist. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> That's a more unconventional character than one that he was describing. <laughs> yes. Much more unconventional. That's genuinely unconventional. And, and that's uh, the, the vibe I get from, like, the Miraculous Ladybug uh, franchise in general is sometimes a little bit like that. That, like, is it, isn't it it novel that she's a woman? Uh, 
And uh, that was also the vibe I got from the intro uh, from Lady Lion's Instagram debut. Uh, I hope she. I hope she turns out to be great, though. Uh, I hope that we get to yeah. see her in the I'm, show. Eventually. I'm looking at uh, there's two posts of her. I'm looking at one now, and I I love her design. Mm-hmm. This rocks. <laughs> don't mm-hmm. don't disappoint us, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess like there's gonna be a, a bunch of different lady superheroes, like not just Ladybug. There's Lady Lion, and then there was something else I saw. There was like Lady Dog or something. No, what was the other one? It's on Jersey's Insta. There was another lady superhero. I guess uh, there are other lady superheroes out there, not just Ladybug. Which doesn't make much sense because no. she's called Ladybug because it's a ladybug, not because she's a woman. Yeah. Although, although there is that. <laughs> There's a point where Adrian gets the, gets the Ladybug Miraculous and they call him Mr. Bug. Yeah. Which is just the worst. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't know how this uh, the this team of ladies uh, fits into the lore of Miraculous, but I, I'm a little excited to find out. Yeah, they've uh, they've set up quite a, a world here. Mm-hmm. On the on the subject of Instagram universes, have you been following the uh, official Miraculous Ladybug character Instagram account? I haven't. Honestly, I haven't been on Instagram much in the past like four months. Uh, That's good. That's healthy. Let me see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stay uh, away. First one to look up. Of course, I'm going with Chloe. Um, well, uh, j- let let me just uh, tell you what you've just been summarize missing. it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, one of the things they've started doing is they've started posting every caption and duplicate translated into a bunch of different languages, which is cool, but, mm-hmm. uh, there have been some issues in translation. At Uh-oh. one point, there was a photo posted to, I think it was the Alia account, and it was a picture of Alia and Marionette, uh, hanging out, and the caption said, I'm always having a blast with my best friend in English. And it's translated into several other languages, mm-hmm. including Portuguese, where it actually read, I'm doing drugs with my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Did they not, like, have an, an actual native speaker or a translator look it over? Like, <laughs> like, did they just pl- that feels like something that you would get if you plugged into Google Translate. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, uh, apparently this wasn't the only time this happened, though. Uh, there was also a time where, like, Adrian accidentally, like, cursed in, in his mistranslated, uh, oh my captions. Um, so, uh, they, they must have gotten someone on that by now. Uh, also, this is just something I've realized, uh, like, anecdotally looking through the Instagram posts, which is, when they first started posting again after taking a brief hiatus for uh, world tragedies, um, nobody was acknowledging openly COVID-19, except Uh for Adrian. Adrian's posts were very explicitly like, Paris Fashion Week, we're social distancing, I got a cool mask. (laughs) Everyone else was kind of ambiguous about it. (laughs) Like, hanging at home with my mom. Everything's fine, <laughs> but Adrian very explicitly is posting from a universe with COVID nineteen. <laughs> so Adrian is trapped in an alternate universe, is what you're saying? Maybe um, in in a mirror universe, if you will. Uh, <laughs> Makes sense. even more isolating. More more to to add to his uh, tragic backstory. Yes. 
Well, uh, you know where... No, that's... No, I was gonna be like... I was gonna try to do a transition and be like, well, you know where there's definitely not COVID-19 in these episodes, but no, that's bad. <laughs> not gonna do that. <laughs> Man, transitions are hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, transitions are hard. Speaking of which... The first episode we've got here today is called uh, Dark Blade in English. It was called, uh, pardon my French, uh, Le Chevier Noir in French, or The Black Knight. Uh, another instance where I feel like just a literal translation, French to English, would have worked just fine. The concept of The yeah. Black Knight is well well known in English-speaking countries, but it's fine. Uh, it aired 12th in France. Uh, it starts off with Marionette journaling, and hey... Journaling is important. Journaling is good. It's good for you. I have been known to do some journaling on occasion, but I don't think you should have a written account of your secret vigilanteism. <laughs> yes, and you're in your patented uh, pink with white polka dot pattern that everyone knows is yours. Yeah, it's very on brand. <laughs> she like the episode starts with her making a quote unquote magic box, which is something that I have never heard of prior to this episode, but apparently it's like a trap that if you try and grab the thing inside without the key, it like snaps onto your hand like a bear trap and does not let go. Mm -hmm. But she tests out if it works by making Tiki go inside the box that she's trapped inside. And I was like, what if the key just didn't work? Like, you're, you're testing that everything is working functionally by putting a living being inside of it. She would just be stuck in there. Well, no, Tiki can phase through objects. Oh, yeah. Well, that's better then. But, I mean, she yeah. didn't even tell her that that was, that was what was going to happen. She was just, like, try and get it. Yeah, Marina had <laughs> a little fun. Happens. She had a little fun at Tiki's expense there. But uh, even if Tiki somehow got stuck in there, like, the... This box is only effective to the point where someone is not willing to break the box. Just You can just yeah, smash the box. Yeah, it's just a box. It's just a box, and it has inside your very real, very dangerous magical secrets. Like, when I, like, used to... I, I used to, and I guess still do, uh, keep a very detailed dream journal. And even in my journal full of my very mundane, very boring inner workings, I will still sometimes omit details that make me uncomfortable like I did that a lot when I was in middle school like if I came to something that made me uncomfortable I didn't want to think about I'd leave a blank space where I understood in my head what it meant but I didn't want to write it out which sounds yeah. uh, uh sounds strange now that I'd say it out loud to another person but I think that no, if no, I was... no I get it yeah yeah I, I think it's like it's I was... like if you can forget about it why not <laughs> yeah but like I, I I don't know she can't like at least Use a, use some code words in there. Like when I when I was in high school, when we wanted to talk like out loud with no one else around, when we wanted to talk out loud about my friends' crushes, we gave them code names and we'd change up the code name every couple of weeks so that nobody would get wise to it. Not because we thought anyone would hear us. This was an unnecessary level of precaution that like <laughs> visual anti marionette is not taking. Like she can't be like and uh after school today, you know, I did some of my scrapbooking. Wink wink. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh she's not very good at this whole secret identity thing. Mm-mm. Um at all, basically. <laughs> but she's off to school. And the one of the things that's happening is uh Mayor Bourgeois ran for re-election and won and also Chloe is running for class rep. Class rep is not a thing we have in the states. We have class presidents but not yeah. class reps. Yeah, we don't have anything like that. I think people who watch anime will probably be more familiar with that. I guess it's just like something that did not translate from everywhere else in the world to America. <laughs> <laughs> Marinette and Alia say, oh, Chloe's been class rep since kindergarten. Is there not one person who has tried to be class rep other than Chloe? Because Marinette tries to be class She, like, runs for class rep in this episode, and everyone's super on board. Like, they're, they're immediately like, yeah, we think that you'd be way better than Chloe because Chloe sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I... I, I do actually, this is one of those few instances in the show where I actually totally buy uh, that Chloe is doing what she's doing because she's having bad behavior modeled for her at home. Because she just saw her dad yeah. win an election through, it is implied, uh, not-so-ethical means. Yeah, she's like, she's like, oh, I have to run a smear campaign against Marinette. When she, like, Serena's like, oh, we have to, like run on our platform. She's like, no, don't you know anything about elections? And I'm like, well, you know something about elections because your dad is a politician. So does this imply that your dad ran a smear campaign? <laughs> like, <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what she's <laughs> implying. And I totally get that since kindergarten, Chloe has taken great pride in running school campaigns just like her father's and that everybody's just kind of gone along with it. And it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I bet it doesn't matter too much who is and isn't class rep. And I bet you forget about it, like, a week after the election. Uh, and so yeah. it, it, it really is one of those instances where, like, you gotta, you, you gotta put up a fight at the moment or you never will again. And Marinette's not gonna because she's busy with vigilanteism. Um, and Alia is also not gonna because <laughs> she's too busy with her blog about Marinette's vigilanteism. And... She call, yeah, she calls it a full-time job, and I'm like, um, that's a little generous. <laughs> Like, I'd understand her being like, she's too busy, but if she's too busy, Marionette's definitely too busy. Yeah, Tiki's, like, urging her to do it, and I'm like, I don't think this is the best idea. Like, she has a full plate right now, and people's lives rest on her being able to do her actual superhero job. Mm -hmm. Tiki's like, well, you won't know until you try, and I'm like, well, no, because this is a very bad idea for Marionette to run. (laughs) Yeah, if something falls through the cracks here, and the crack... The thing that falls through the crack is a human life that we can't go back on that, Tiki. <laughs> That's on Marinette. That's... <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Chloe is openly blackmailing people not to run, but she doesn't think to blackmail Marinette. But yeah, she says she is very busy. Alia says, what? Busy with what? Busy with, like, sleeping in or something? Alia says something, I think, that is kind of mean. <laughs> Even if you don't know <laughs> kind of about mean. Uh, like, her part-time wow. job. Why wouldn't she at least wait until, like, Chloe is gone? Like, she she says this in front of the girl who is currently bullying her best friend. You're just adding fuel to the fire at that point. I think she actually says that in front of Alex, not in front of Chloe. Oh, oh yeah, because Alex is sitting on the stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Marinette is gonna run for class rep, and uh, Kim also- Kim almost runs for black class rep, but he is blackmailed into not- running. Uh, Kim is the one who the MiraculousLadybug.com website finally updated and gave him a new name. 
and he did need a new name. He he did yes, need a new name. We discussed this last episode. His name is is a weird joke that I that never really paid off. But it it really should have been another Filipino last name because they ended up just giving him a kind of ambiguously French last name. They really should have chosen a Filipino last name. They went from like a a name that was in very bad taste but was at least indicative of him being Filipino to just erasing the whole thing and basically retconning his whole character and saying we're starting over from scratch and he's French only now. <laughs> yeah, I think he's probably still supposed to be Filipino. Yeah. I mean, but, but when it comes to like representation in secondary characters, mm-hmm. if there isn't episodes that specifically focus on them or their culture, then names are basically all we have to go on uh in terms of someone's like cultural background so not great <laughs> yeah yeah that's rough um, but he can't run and neither can rose uh so marionette steps up and she runs against chloe and chloe <laughs> chloe decides to uh play dirty and i do actually kind of like this reversal and it's just a reversal of like what you typically see i think in children's cartoons there's this idea in children's television i think that you know that let me think about how i want to put this you so often see in kids media the this idea that your main character needs to be an underdog which of course they do because you know kids Mm -hmm. are underdogs kids feel very vulnerable all the time because they are vulnerable but I feel like sometimes uh, TV shows can exaggerate that to the point where it is ridiculous. Uh, And I do kind of like the fact that Marionette, in this very small class of hers, isn't unpopular. She's not picked on by anyone except for Chloe. She's very well known among her her classmates. Her classmates like her. She has friends. She has a, a pretty healthy social life that she maintains, and people like that she's running. Yeah, it's it's nice when that sort of thing happens because I feel like uh it I mean it's important to have characters in kid shows who are bullied and are like able to overcome that because most kids basically are bullied at some point in their life mm-hmm. uh in their life. So it's like it's important that we have that, but it's also important that we show them that yeah, you can be happy. <laughs> like you can be happy and things yeah. can be going all right for you. Like it's possible. <laughs> To not be bullied constantly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, things can be okay. Uh, so while Chloe and Marionette go to work on their campaigns, Adrian Adrian uh, says that he will vote for Marionette depending on her speech, which I respect. Ollie is like, "Hey, hey, Adrian, you're gonna you're gonna vote for Marionette, right, buddy?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, depending." Yeah, I'll, well, I'll listen to her speech because he's a man of principle. <laughs> Yes, yeah, like Adrian that. supports informed voting. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's not going off of favoritism. Uh, but Adrian has to go to his fencing lesson. And his fencing lesson is with this guy named uh, Armand Dargencourt, I think is how you say his name. Uh, when you break his name down, it uh, Armand is the French variant of the German Hermann, meaning army man. And Dargencourt, it literally means bad like like of the bad court <laughs> um but it's more likely meant to be a, a pun on the word uh Agincourt, which is a 
commune in northern France. That it was, it was the site of a really important battle during the Hundred Years' War. Uh, mm-hmm. It's portrayed in Henry V, if you've ever seen that play. So that's likely what it's meant to allude to. Uh, and this is the guy who ran against Chloe's dad and lost. So he tried to be mayor, uh, but was he's not. Also he's also a part-time fencing instructor. Yes, yes, this fencing instructor and slash politician. And he explains to Adrian while they're practicing, first he pulls this move where he, like, stands in front of Adrian and extends his arms and just makes himself <laughs> completely vulnerable, and then... Uh, Adrian goes in for it, and he like, haha, no, and <laughs> knocks him down anyway. And it, uh, I don't think. L- listen, I I took fencing for a little bit in middle school. Uh-huh. I don't think you can do that. I don't think that's okay. <laughs> I think, I think if you did move. that in competition, you'd get a penalty. Yeah, um, uh, he gives his backstory, and the note that I have about this is. We get ten seconds of backstory, and it is the most dramatic shit on Earth. <laughs> it goes yeah. by so fast, it's like three sentences. And he's talking extremely fast, and then it's just over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is, like, it's playing out, like, behind him, dramatized. But what basically he says, yeah. he used to have an ancestor. I assume he means a medieval ancestor uh, who ruled okay. Paris with an iron fist. But that this ancestor was overthrown because uh, a wealthy Frenchman bought the the populace's loyalty. Which is a bit of a contradiction. Because he does say ruled with an iron fist. That doesn't sound like the populace yeah. was happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I was thinking, it's like, also because, like, he, he ruled with an iron fist, which means he was, like, a monarch or something, or, like, some important political figure... Which means, he says, it wasn't too long ago that my ancestor's flag was flying. I'm like, well, buddy, it was definitely pre-French Revolution. So a pretty <laughs> long time ago, <laughs> I would say. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's a pretty long time ago. Also, the entire time that he was talking, just the way that he speaks to people and how he thinks that he has an inherent right to power, I guess, because of some old dude who's dead. I was like, uh-oh. This sounds like a dude who is one step away from just flat out being a white supremacist. <laughs> I was like, I wouldn't be surprised if this dude was just straight up a Nazi because this is a wild, like a wild thread of of things to extrapolate from. I had an ancestor hundreds of years ago who who owned some land. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, th- this dude, I mean, they're putting him up against Bourgeois, and, like, Mayor Bourgeois is not a super sympathetic character. He's, like, a he's supposed to be a bad mayor and a bad dad, <laughs> a bad guy. Yeah. But this guy is also not good, and I do yeah, not I want him like, to be mayor. I thought that there was going to be something where they outed the mayor for election fraud or, like, <laughs> something, or they were like, whoa, you didn't win this election fairly or something. But no, it's just the other dude is even worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, of the two, the mayor is the better option. <laughs> yeah, the, and this dude, uh, it's interesting, because he speaks, like, very, uh, kind of an approximation of old English in the dub. Also in the dub, he's one of the few characters who is allowed to occasionally throw in a word of actual French. None of the other characters ever speak French, even though it takes place in France, and they are all French. He's the only one who gets to keep, like, occasionally a, a word or two of French in there. I don't know. I guess, like, is that supposed to, like, 
imply that he's elitist or something. But they're in France, so it yeah. makes sense. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. There, there's some, there's some confused uh, ethics here. It, it, it doesn't feel like anyone's really, you know, you feel bad for this guy a little bit since he he was, it seems, kind of cheated by Chloe's dad. Also, uh, the reporter character. Do you remember the name of the reporter character? No, but she she's the one with pink hair. She yeah. like, runs into the school and is doing guerrilla journalism yes. in, a, in a school. Yeah, she, she's she's such a sensationalist. She's trying to like she's saying like mean things to try to get a rise out of him to try to get a, 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 some sound bitey quotes, and she's just following him around. She waits until he comes out of the school and follows him, and then <laughs> he like freaks out and starts with his sword destroying a poster of Mare Bourgeois, and that's when he's <gasps> akumatized. And her, she, while he's akumatized, she stands there and watches him become a supervillain, and then tries to get a quote about his recent supervillification, which I actually respect. <laughs> yeah, she also, uh, the cameraman was like, like, the camera had been pointed down to the, the ground because he was in shock and horrified, and she... L like used her hand to lift up the camera so that it was pointed more directly at the guy while he was he was being akumatized. Yeah, this is so a woman that, that sweet that sweet money shot of uh <laughs> of the man just being turned from a human into a monster. Yes, it, it is. Honestly, you know she's dedicated. I respect that. But you see that like she's so dedicated to her job and to like getting good views that. She's so dedicated to her job and to getting good ratings, and we actually get to see her later in an episode. She does this sensationalizing all, all the time, and like, yeah, she's mm -hmm. she's always out there on the ground. She's the first person to get the quote from the villains all the time, but also she's not above playing dirty a little bit. So I'm excited to learn more <laughs> about her. This guy, uh, he's now Darkblade. He calls himself Darkblade in uh, the English dub. I think in French he's just the Black Knight. And what he does is he has the power to kind of akumatize people. He can just, like, touch people with his uh, sword. He can knight them. And then they turn into these zombie knights who just follow him and do whatever he says. It, that's just... How come all that's the akumatized people can't do that? That's akumatizing with extra steps. Like Yes. You akumatized. <laughs> You're akumatizing other people. Like, the akumatization gave you tiny little akumas that you could akumatize. Don't forget, he can also transform cars into catapults. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's another yeah. one of his powers. Mm -hmm. uh, once people are transformed, they start shining Parlefer, which is by iron, which is like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna take over with our swords. That's basically what that means. Uh, he sees yeah. the Adrian's gorilla bodyguard who I'm calling Gorilla because that's what he's called, like, on the Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> Not <laughs> an actual no Gorilla, it's just a man that for some reason everyone calls Gorilla, which is yeah. really mean, because yeah, you he's know what a else nice guy. Darkblade, <laughs> like, knights this guy and turns him into a knight and says to him, what a, what a good, beautiful beast for our army. He calls him a beast. He calls him a beast. Also, when he's transformed, his body shape changes so that he's the same as every other knight. So, yeah. like, what was the point of him being stronger anyways? Yeah. Yeah. But this this good, beautiful beast is the same as any other addition to your army. Because apparently you have, like, <laughs> a very, very strict, like, kind of, kind of terrible... 
I lost my train of thought there. I was going to say something about body shaming in his medieval army. But, you know. <laughs> While all this is happening, uh, Sabrina decides to, uh, on Chloe's order, go try to find uh, dirty stuff about Marionette. And so she actually, like, talks past her mom, and I thought it made sense the way she did that. Yeah. Uh, the fact that she's like, oh yeah, I'm your daughter's age, I go to her school, let me in. Like, yeah, go ahead. And she gets into her room and, uh, like, looks around marionette's room that is covered in pictures of adrian that she's cut out (laughs) and pasted up all of her adrian collages are everywhere and sabrina's like ah nothing nothing suspicious here yeah it was so funny while the camera it was like a pov shot from her point of view and the camera is panning around this just like collage this like it's one step down from a from a shrine of adrian and chloe says just find anything that is embarrassing and Sabrina's looking around like, I can't find anything while the camera is panning over, like, 30 images of Adrian that she has taped to her wall. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like... <laughs> fantastic. Uh, she does eventually find uh, Marionette's magic box, because of course she does. Because yeah. even if you're gonna put your diary in a magic box, why, why do you leave the box open and out... <laughs> Well, you could close the box, and it accomplishes the same thing. <laughs> you close the box, and then it would do what it's supposed to do, which is keep the diary safe. No, but but Sabrina, because she sees it lying open, goes to take it, and the box closes around her hand. And then Sabrina goes to Chloe who has started this uh, event where she's invited Jagged Stone, this rock star, to come hang out at her dad's hotel. And people, she's giving people autographs, like, oh, vote for me and you'll all get free stuff. Yeah, she's, uh, she's schmoozing. <laughs> and Sabrina shows up with Marionette's diary box attached to her hand. And just, just unequivocal proof of wrongdoing. And she, yeah. like, motions over Marionette, like, hey, Marionette, come talk to us. Like, we've got your diary. We're going to tell everyone your secrets. And Marionette doesn't just, like, immediately, like, hey, hey, everyone look. Everyone look at this. <laughs> look what's <laughs> happening. The It's on her hand. She has my diary in her hand right now. This is wrongdoing. That's yeah, it. she just sort of... She's like, you won't get away with this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you could put a stop to it right now. You could mm-hmm. forcibly pull Sabrina by her other wrist and say, hey, everyone, look what these two did. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're all in one place. Your entire class is right there, ten feet away. Yeah. Um, but while they're all <laughs> while they're all hanging out with this rock star, um, the, the army, the knights all start coming up on the hotel because... Actually, uh, I'm not sure if it's a hotel or if it's a uh, town hall. It's probably town hall where they are, right? No, I think they're at the hotel. Because I think Chloe, like, lives in a hotel. Yeah, Sweet but Sweet life I think... of Zack and Cody style. Yeah, but I think it's actually supposed to be town hall because he says that his goal, the Dark Blade, is to put his flag up on top of that building. Which, so I think it's City Hall. <laughs> Combination City Hall Hotel. Because, I mean, the mayor's office is inside that building. Yeah. But... There is, like, hotel rooms, and, like, in Kung Fu, they're like, oh, it's a competition to see whose food we'll get in the hotel. <laughs> I don't know, dude. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's a very confusing building. <laughs> I, think there's a, I think there's some reused interiors in there, but I think it's a different building. Mm. 
Uh, they're coming up on them, and uh, Cat Noir, for a little bit, is fighting them solo because Marionette is uh, in the building with all of her classmates. And he uses uh, the same stance that his teacher just taught him in fencing class to, like, kind of get around the knights and stuff, uh, which is kind of... I thought, I thought it was kind of neat. It, it's kind of cool yeah. to see like, Adrian's secret identity, like, coming up in terms of crime fighting in a way that is in no way connected to the relationship to Marionette. Yeah, it's, uh, it feels like a lot of time his development is focused solely around his relationship with Marionette. Mm -hmm. It's like, give, give the boy, <laughs> give the boy a morsel of character development, please. <laughs> yeah, give him interest. Um, but while they're, like, while the knights are surrounding the building, Marionette can't transform into Ladybug, and everybody is freaking out, like, oh, oh no, what are we gonna do? Ah, we're, we're kids, we're scared. And Marionette has to, like, step up and be a leader here. Uh, and just, like, you, lots of people say stuff to her, like, what would class rep do? Or, like, Chloe, you wanna be class rep, what should we do? And Chloe doesn't know. And I do, listen, listen, I get it. I get that mm -hmm. it's about leadership and, like, stepping up to the occasion when people need you. This cannot be within purview of class rep. This cannot be what the job is. We're trapped <laughs> in a building surrounded by magical medieval knights. They're gonna come in and turn us into zombies. I know. Let's I ask mean, the class president in this what town, to do. That's like, that's like par for the course in this town. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure the, the requirements for class rep are very different specifically in Paris than to like anywhere else in France because of the constant supervillain attacks. Goes to supervillain. Call it like class yeah. militia leader then, if that's what it is. <laughs> class general. Yes. Um, and of course, uh, Marionette steps up, but her the, the example that's given here of her being a good leader is just her telling people what to do. And the things she tells people to do are things like lock the door. And I don't think that this is a great example of Marionette being a leader, since all she's doing is telling people what to do, and the things she's telling them to do are pretty obvious things. It's not like she's leading through example here by doing these things. To, to be fair, the doors had been open for most of the fight by this point. Like, they were actively opening the doors to look out instead of just using the clear windows. <laughs> they were, they were, it was like four or five of them would huddle around the, the tiny crack in the door that they opened to see what's going on, even though they could still just see what was going on if they locked and barricaded the door and then walked towards a window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I... <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I do I'm get afraid that. she's the only one in her class with a, with even a smidge of common sense. Yeah, self-preservation. Some, sometimes some you do need someone to just stand up and to say the obvious because you know think things get out of hand, things get away yeah. from you. But I don't think that it's a cool message for like people Marionette's age, people within the like twelve to fifteen range, to tell them that leadership is telling your friends what to do. Because hey, when I was fourteen, yeah. I knew a lot of people who like to just tell other kids what to do, that didn't necessarily make them good leaders, you know? Like, the people who ag people actually did people. Yeah, yeah. The people who actually <laughs> did, like, who groups actually did gravitate to, it wasn't about them telling people to do. It was more about them, like, being a good example of what to do in a situation like that. So, yeah. yeah it, it's, it's a weird way to portray a student government member, mm -hmm. I guess. Like, I'm all for kids joining their 
student governments and like helping uh helping the school out in that way. Mm-hmm. But this is a very strange interpretation of that job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if we do if we need a a leader in case of crisis, like maybe like we can have a vote on that. We can have a very deliberate quote like hey, we need a a, a designated Akuma fighter. <laughs> and that it does make sense to be Marinette. <laughs> Uh, after everybody's locked the doors and the one adult in the room has finally remembered he's an adult and starts to lead the kids <laughs> out of the building, uh, Marionette says, you guys go, I'll check the windows. And they all go and leave her behind. And it's another Superman telling everyone to abandon Clark Kent situation. <laughs> where I can't believe yeah. Marionette's friends leave her behind. And Chloe even remarks on it later. She was like, where were you, Dupen Chang? Cowering in a closet somewhere? I remember like, like, uh, no, I was, I, I was knighted, I was taken over. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone believes it, because, like, what else would have happened to her? Yeah. Like, yeah, we all, oh yeah, Marionette, we <laughs> forgot you weren't there. You were such a great leader, Marionette, but, uh, we, we abandoned you at the you first possible us. opportunity. Yeah. Um. Uh, this guy, uh, at this point, the the knight has gotten up to the top of the building, and Marionette, because she's now separated from her friends, can transform. And once he puts his flag on top of the building, a cloud comes over Paris that is slowly turning everybody into zombies. Because uh, that, he can do that. This this is what yeah, he does. Yeah, it was, I was not clear what exactly was going on there with the flag. Like, the flag was introduced 20 seconds before he used it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had no idea what its purpose was, what its capabilities were. But somehow Ladybug and Cat knew exactly what it was going to do. Because yeah. one of them, like, shouted to the other, don't let him put his flag up on the flagpole. Yeah. And I was I- like, what happens when he puts the flag <laughs> on the flagpole? And the answer is a big storm cloud that makes everyone in Paris evil. <laughs> Yeah, when when Ladybug said that, don't let, don't let him put the flag up. I thought that she was trying to stop him from winning an ideological victory. I thought that yeah, it was like, just a symbolic it thing. Like, sense. These colors don't run. Yeah, also, I don't understand how Hawkmoth uh, evaded that cloud attack unless he is somewhere outside of Paris momentarily because he knew this would happen. Um, but the cloud does infect literally all of Paris except for the epicenter. It's like a circle that starts out with a really wide diameter and then kind of closes in. Mm-hmm. Every person that it passes by uh, gets zombified, nightified, I don't know. Um, so, like, the epicenter where the actual flag is is the last place where the fight is taking place. It's the last place to actually get zombified, which is what gives them the time limit at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, they would have just lost instantly. <laughs> um, but, uh... Hawkmoth is in Paris, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, this dude infected all of Paris and Hawkmoth's just hanging out in his house still. Yeah, I guess maybe... I, I thought I had the thought that it would make sense if people using Miraculouses weren't affected, if they got some kind of protection. But the, the Marionette and Adrian don't seem to know that, uh, which I guess also makes sense. I mean, because who's going to explain that to them? Um, yeah. But during this fight... Uh, Adrian uses that move again, that move that his teacher taught to him, uh, and it and it works, and it's very cool, again, to just see his, his secret identity coming back around, having real-world mm-hmm. repercussions. 
uh, they they MacGyver it, you know, they get the, the lucky charm, and they, the lucky charm is like a little device that Marionette uses to tickle the bad guy until he drops his weapons. <laughs> that That's what happens. Yeah, I like the, the, the line that she says before using it is, I hope he's ticklish, and immediately I was like, no way. <laughs> no way is she just gonna throw this thing at this dude and hope that it works. Yeah. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> it did. Um, uh, once uh, everybody is saved, the guy's deacumatized, everybody is no longer a zombie, they all reconverge back inside the building, and one of the few times where this show has ever made me legitimately uh, laugh out loud outside of the context of discussing it with you, was when Marina explained that she had been turned into a zombie, and Adrian ran by. He's like, so was I! It was a nightmare! What a nightmare! And then he just walks away. I wrote that down in my notes, because it made me laugh. I was like, this is the first... I can't think of any other times where Adrian acts like this, because it's a very cat noir thing to say. Mm -hmm. I was like, this man has not shifted out of cat mode. He's still, he's still just making puns. Yeah. Oh, wait, a pun. <gasps> wait, I just got it. <laughs> wait, <laughs> you didn't know that it You're experiencing pun. this here with me. I didn't, I just thought it was a silly thing to say. I didn't get it. It was a, oh, a nightmare. <laughs> it's a God nightmare. It. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, the last two notes that I have of this episode are what a nightmare. And then the, <laughs> the last thing, I don't remember what it was in reference to, but it just says, Marinette, you are an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was well, talking about. I forgot. Oh no! Wait, no, I do remember. It was because she she said I don't want you guys to vote for me because I'm your alternative to Chloe, who you hate. I want you to vote for me because you believe in me. And I'm like, Marinette, that's not how politics work. I don't love Biden, but I voted for Biden because I hate Trump. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I and I'm fine with it. <laughs> Yeah, I get it. I mean, like, it, it's great, like, ethically speaking, like, it, it, it's great yeah. ideologically what Marionette is saying there, but she is yeah, the like, only other Yeah, like, trying to be someone candidate. that people can look up to. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, what, are, what if we don't believe in you, Marionette? What is our alternative? Um, but she does end up telling everybody that Chloe stole her diary. Chloe immediately throws Sabrina under the bus, which everyone just sees through so easily because of course, because Sabrina has the diary on her hand and everyone knows Sabrina is friends yeah. with Chloe. It, it, everybody sees through it immediately and I totally respect that. And mm -hmm. Marinette becomes class <laughs> rep and Alia is her deputy, even though Alia said she didn't have time for it, which makes sense because if Marinette can make time, Alia had better make time. <laughs> If Marinette can make time, literally anyone anyone else on Earth can make time. Yes. <laughs> she, <laughs> she has way too much on her plate, and she's still going to be class rep. Mm -hmm. Yes, I don't... I'm sure that this will come up at some point, but I don't remember off the top of my head ever seeing her do class rep stuff. Yeah, it's just sort of dropped. <laughs> they just uh, forgot. They were just like, ah, well, you know, she she is. Mm -hmm. End of story. Don't ask about it. Just trust us. Mm -hmm. Never never interferes with anything. Never has any consequences. Just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what we have up next here is uh, The Mime. Now, this is uh, an interesting episode. episode. <laughs> yeah! It's, it's, episode. 
it's one of those episodes that, for reasons we will get into later, I think probably had more thought put into it and, like, had more time yeah, on the pipeline than other episodes. Wasn't the mime one of, like, the original characters from, like, yes. the original pitch or whatever? So it's, like, the, this is, like, a guy that they've been thinking about for a while. It's not some monster of the week they had to make up on a tight schedule, like I'm sure most of the other monsters were this season because of their horrible, horrible uh, time limit on writing this season. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oof, this, this was, was something that they had season. already developed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, the um, mime, uh, Mr. Pigeon, and Hawk Moth are the three original villains from the uh, Ladybug animated PV, which we will talk about at some point. It, it should get an episode. Yeah. Um, and we start off with uh, Marionette uh, talking to Alia about how Alia got a interview with Ladybug, ooh, uh, which is a very big deal for her Lady Blog. And uh, Ladybug said some very nice things to her, which was very nice. And you know, if I had a visual anti secret identity, I would make a point to like be nice to my friends and give them street cred. I guess uh, this was yeah. very, this felt real very realistic. Um, but Alia hands her phone to Marionette so that she can look at the video she got, and <laughs> Alia walks away, and in the time that she's walked away, Marionette, like, throws the phone up into the air, catches it, and deletes the video. And I... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, first thing I guess we have to mention, the obvious thing, phones don't work like that. If you delete... It, a video or picture off your phone, you can just go into the trash and recover it. It, it doesn't yeah. disappear. And there's also two inputs to delete a phone. You have to say delete and then confirm delete, and then it's still in the phone for at least 30 days. Yes. Like, I'm not sure if, if different brands vary or whatever, but at least on, on current iPhones, uh, deleted pictures and videos are stored in the phone still for 30 days until they are permanently deleted. Yeah, I don't So she still has the video. Yeah, what, what <laughs> smartphone would immediately delete something? Like, the second you click delete. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, and, but, it, of course, Marionette thinks that she has destroyed this video that Alia treasured. Uh, and But uh, Maylen shows up with her dad, and Marionette gives him a hat that he had been repairing for her. And Maylen... Dad is uh, an actor. He's going to be in a mime show. He's also and... seven feet tall. <laughs> yes, he's very he's, tall. He's taller than even. There's like other characters who are tall who stand next to him, and he's still like five or six inches taller than them. Yes, <laughs> a very tall man. He's very. They I, they wanted him, I guess, to look very like lanky, Live. angular. It which, yeah. which works. It works later for the villain design. Now Maylin is. Mm -hmm number one daughter with number one dad. They are so nice to each yes, other. oh my god. It's so cute. He, like, he literally, he went to Marinette to sew, a, like, a pocket in his hat so that he could keep a picture of his daughter inside his, his performing hat, which is the cutest thing on earth. It is. It is fantastic. <laughs> it's great. And he does a little bit of miming for them. Now, was it you who told me this, or did I read this somewhere else? When he's miming... The way it's animated, it's not just that he's animated touching air. It's that, like, there's an object that is actually there. It's just rendered to be transparent. Am I remembering that right? I I don't think that I told you that, but that's was exactly my thought, because there is a, a point later on where they're in a car, and you can see particle effects that are going around the car, like dust, 
and hitting the invisible surface of the car, but you can't actually see the car, and I was like, oh, okay, so they just used objects that they turned the visibility off for that are still there, <laughs> but you just can't see them. But, um, yeah, there's a... You could just put... It's, it's much easier, I think, than uh, trying to animate something that you can't see, especially yeah. in 3D, in, in the way that you would have to, uh, like, think about the space, I guess. It'd be kind of confusing, but, mm -hmm. you know. The wonders of computers. <laughs> yeah. Turn the visibility of a box off. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Uh, he gets a phone call from his director, and in the English dub, at least the dialogue that you hear coming from the phone and the dialogue he gives doesn't match up. They're not having the same conversation, but that's a very small detail. Mm -hmm. uh, we got a very classic evil understudy plot here. Where he, <laughs> this guy, he's, he's been kind of flaking on rehearsal and his understudy wants to steal his part. So what he does is he sabotages Maylene's dad by telling him that to show up somewhere else to get the bus to where they're performing. And he encourages the director to like give his part to him. Uh, and it, I, I do like that even though he's very, very clearly being sabotaged, uh, it's also clear that it's not entirely someone else's fault like he does he, he's late and he makes a lot of excuses and like he's been flaky yeah. and the director has a good reason to be uh, upset with him even though she was pushed over the edge by uh someone in, yeah in, it's it's not like we conscience. find out oh he's he's our best actor and he's always on time and he's like he's just this super punctual person and then this one thing happens it's like no this is a pattern of behavior <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, we see Theo passing out some flyers. Theo with his Benjamin Button face and million jobs. Yes. Uh, also, <laughs> uh, I almost skipped over the most important part of this episode, which is the fact that Marionette once again steals a friend's phone. <laughs> yep, she is. She has a problem. I'm thinking it's a uh, it's some sort of fixation of hers. Yeah. Well, let's <laughs> let's let's psychoanalyze Marionette. <laughs> yeah. Why does she, she keeps stealing her friend's phone? She can't stop herself. Uh, but is she, what she tries to do here is she tries to recreate the video for Alia in her ladybug costume, but she can't quite, as if, as if Alia's not gonna notice that, but I don't know what else I would do in that scenario. I mean, I do know what I'd do. I'd go to the trash yeah, and I would recover just come the clean. video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'd come clean, or if that wasn't an option, you'd just go into the trash bin. Um... <laughs> um. But, uh, while she's trying to do this, like, uh, Malin's dad is akumatized, he becomes the mime, one of the coolest, in my opinion, uh, character designs, because it's just very straightforward. He looks like a mime. Mimes already look like yeah. supervillains. Can I tell you, this was the, probably the funniest one-liner that, uh, Hawkmoth gave during the akumatization. Okay. Which was, you may be a mime, but they cannot silence you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed out loud when he said that because it was so funny. I was like, "Yes, Hawkmoth, finally, <laughs> a clever, a clever way to to just tie tie your little akumatization into a bow." <laughs> I love it. Um, while a marionette is fighting this guy whose powers are anything that he mimes becomes physical and real, but it doesn't appear. Everything's still invisible, but if he mimes hitting you with a baseball bat, you are knocked down. You know? Yeah. Uh, and while she's fighting this guy with his super cool powers and super cool costume, 
Adrian in his limo going on his on his way to the mime performance actually uh he he pulls over and ladybug's like telling him to get to safety and so this is the first interaction we have in the series between ladybug and adrian and it's just like some poignant eye contact yeah and then adrian almost getting killed by an arrow yes <laughs> it's like 6 inches away from his head uh, because Ladybug wasn't paying attention to the villain anymore. <laughs> yeah. I also love how, how bad of a shot most of, like, most of the mimes, uh, arrows are. Like, he's just not a very good archer, but he continues to use the bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, watching him do all of his cool stuff with the pantomime, it reminded me of, uh, in high school, and actually not just in high school, also uh, outside of stuff. When I was in theater in high school, and also when I would do uh, improv at uh, a theater in Burbank, I I got the same note a couple of times. I don't even know if I can call it a note uh, from two different directors, saying that I didn't need to take pantomime as seriously as I did. Because up here, I would do things like, uh, we would be doing a scene, and I'd, like, have the pants in my cup of water, and then the director would call cut, and I would put the fake cup of water down, and it's like, Maggie, the scene is over, you don't need to, it's over, the cup isn't there. Yeah, I know the cup isn't there, Karen, but- Listen, I am not an actor. If I was just, like, doing a bit or something, and I had pretended to hold up a cup to my mouth- after the bit was over, I would, my body would put down the cup regardless of me thinking about it. <laughs> and, and like one time with, with that director, like I had a fake piece of paper in my hand, and she was like tweaking things. She was like, "Actually, have it in your other hand." And I like moved it from one hand to the other, and she was like, "What, Maggie? It's not there." Like I know it's not there. Okay, I just I'm in a headspace. It feels like it's there. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> This guy, the mime, is trying to hunt down the people who have wronged him, and he goes after the bus with his director and the rest of the cast in it, and Ladybug tells them this, and the director is at first very like, oh, well, he kind of got himself fired, you know, he did a lot of stuff wrong. And that made me think about the workplace implications of akumatization. Because right now, people who are, like, fired or transferred have to be escorted off the premises like you can't like even like you can't go back into the building to like get your stuff like the day after you're fired like you are escorted out with your things because it's very important that like you don't let somebody who might be disgruntled like back into the building to mess with stuff and like there's lots of rules around how you can and can't fire someone and i'm just thinking what what kind of precautions could you put in place knowing that if you fired someone, they could on the spot become a superpowered and evil? Yeah, are there, um... <laughs> are there, like, workplace protections for people who are akumatized and can't come into work or, it, like, interferes with their work? <laughs> There's so many, like, economic implications of the the concept of literally anyone being able to to become a supervillain at the drop of a hat because someone stubbed stubbed their toe or, I don't know, they got, like, a robocall and it kind of pissed them off a little bit. (laughs) I am Robotor! I know! I control everyone's (laughs) cell phones! Um, 
but yeah, it, honestly, though, I mean, it, it's France, and I know that France has very good work unions, because France has a, a very long history of, like, very strong protests and, like, labor strikes, so it, it yeah. actually might be fine in, in France. Like, I bet, like, the workplace protections for accumatized victims are actually pretty good, much better than they would be in America. Well, that's good, at least, because we have almost nothing here. <laughs> uh <sighs> Oh. oh to oh to live in a country where the government cared about the lives of its workers. Yeah, uh hmm, I forgot what I had written in my notes here about this. Uh about the like a getting uh, somebody getting akumatized, you know, somebody like getting fired and being disgruntled and like getting magical laser powers into Vendetta and I wrote I guess that's kind of what it's like in real life. We just don't usually have to deal with the consequences of our effects on other people. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it's, it's... I don't know, this, <laughs> this show is making me think about uh, things that I did not anticipate thinking about while uh, watching yeah. a, a, a children's entertainment <laughs> it is, property. It, it is honestly... <laughs> uh, it, it's not a bad concept for a superhero show. The idea that anybody can yeah. become the villain temporarily, and that everybody has a reason, and that in the end, like, usually there's a moment at the end where you just have to reach out to people and help solve their problems, or the, help resolve the thing that led to them being akumatized. I honestly think it's a very elegant idea, and a, a good thing to show kids. I, I honestly... Mm -hmm. Do you think this like, hey, yeah. hey, your your actions have consequences, and like you can affect people in ways that you didn't anticipate or understand because you you don't, you know, people don't become technicolor and super powered when you hurt them. They just kind of walk away, and it affects them in their actual lives later. It just doesn't usually affect you. And I actually do think that giving it a, a very a very real uh, personification is uh, I think it's pretty great actually. Yeah, it's super, super important uh, to make sure that kids understand that other people can mess up and that they can mess up, but it's not the end of the world. Like, I remember, uh, I think it was, like, Mr. Rogers said, he's like, yeah, we need to make sure that we keep in bits where I fumble with things because I want kids to know that adults make mistakes, too. And that it's, like, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as long as you, like, make up for it and you, you make things right, then it's okay. And it's, like, yeah, kids should know that because I feel like a lot of, uh, there's a lot of pressure on, on kids to be perfect all the time. Uh, and a lot of times kids are punished too harshly for things that are very minor and they aren't punished enough for things that are pretty major or aren't punished in the right ways, I guess. So it's, like, it, it feels completely unfair. Which it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh childhood but, uh, is so unfair. Dude, childhood sucks. Oh my god. It's like, sometimes it's so cool because everything is, like, exciting and you're, like, entranced by video games and, like, learning all this cool stuff. And, other, and like, the rest of the time, everyone's just, like, treating you like you aren't a person. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, like, the, the highest highs and the lowest lows. Mm-hmm. My god. Uh, speaking of the horror of childhood, <laughs> Marionette <laughs> knocks over the Eiffel Tower. Yes. He, she just... or specifically, 
Mr. Mime, uh, Mr. Mime Man jumps, like, 30 feet in the air and, like, anime samurai swords the, <laughs> the entire Eiffel Tower in a single, like, sword swipe from his, I'm assuming, 80 meter long sword <laughs> that he is miming with because it cuts through the whole thing in one go. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> Marionette has figured out here that he can only mine one thing at a time. And so mm-hmm. she figures out, oh, if she can just keep him mining one thing, then she can just walk up to him and take his little akumatized object. So what she decides to do is drop the biggest thing in Paris on top of him and hope that he's fine. Like, he'll catch it. <laughs> it'll be fine. Which, luckily, she was right. I don't really understand. I mean, he is, like, miming, but he's just holding up... Also, he's holding up the entire top half of the Eiffel Tower by himself. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) what what reason did she have to believe that he was that strong? Like, he can jump, I want to say, 10, 12 feet in the air. You know, he's definitely stronger than a normal human. But the entire... Half of the entire Eiffel Tower? Oh my yeah. god. Marionette took a risk here, and it's a really good thing things went her way. Yeah. Oh, also, because he's about to be defeated, I did want to back up a little bit. During during the battle, Adrian did make a fart joke, and I thought it was really funny. <laughs> what? He, he said it gives a new meaning to silent but deadly, and I laughed out loud. <laughs> Because I'm a baby who still thinks that fart jokes are the funniest thing on earth. I can respect that. <laughs> but the day uh, is saved by by dropping the Eiffel Tower on someone. And the the guy who messed with Malin's dad uh, after he's deakumatized fesses up. And it, it looks like they come to some kind of a compromise there where they're both going to be in the show, even though one of them is the understudy. Which is, it feels fine, you know, this guy, this guy, you know, what he did was wrong, but it's not like, it's not supervillain wrong, you know? Like, he's just a guy. And I feel like it's okay that there aren't any dire consequences for him, and they both end up giving a great show. Uh, And Adrian is at the show alone because his dad couldn't come and ends up sitting with Marionette, and I noticed that earlier, Cat Noir asks Ladybug to go see the show with him, and like, oh, it'll just be you and me, and it ends up actually being that way, even though neither of them know it. Yeah. Um, Marinette does, she makes this this weird smiling face, which I have seen described as the Ardman Grimace. I'm gonna send you a picture in chat of the best example I could find. Oh, he does. <laughs> the Ardman Grimace. Oh. Uh, Ardman being the, the animation company... That made uh, things like Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But this is the exact face that the face that I sent you is the exact face that she made. Um, yes. And it's all I could think about for the rest of the episode through the credits while I was waiting for the next episode to play. <laughs> oh yeah. Mar- Marionette. Uh, Marionette makes that face a lot. I wrote something in my she notes really here. Does. I wrote something in my notes here that I had forgotten about. Uh, like, Cat Noir asking Ladybug to go to the play with him because his dad flaked is, uh, it's sadder in the context of him kind of looking to replace his, <laughs> the uh, emotional input of his dad. And I wrote here in my notes, I don't remember writing this, but what I wrote was, 
Do you think maybe part of Adrian's attraction to Ladybug is the fact that he sees her as emotionally unavailable, and that's mirrored in his relationship with his dad? Oh my god. This is like the, the gender swap version of, or I guess not even gender swap, it's like a different, it's a different kind of uh, thing as like men who just want girlfriends who will basically be their mother. It's like Adrian wants someone who will just be his stand-in dad. Yeah, it's like I, I like, guess. It, <laughs> I, can't, I guess the more you break it down, the more it makes sense. Because like, what does he know about Ladybug, other than that she fights crime with him and that yeah, she the, doesn't want to date him? We haven't gotten to this episode yet, but I remember like laughing when he first admitted to himself that he loved her because it was, I think, their first fight or something, and he's like, "I don't know who that is." But I love that girl. And I was like, you just talked to her for five minutes and then, like, kicked somebody. Like, like, it's all the interaction that you have with her and you think that you're in love with her. This is not love. This is just infatuation. Yeah, I oh, I really love the fact that she's unobtainable and, like, not around a lot and doesn't <laughs> seem that into me. Yes, the most desirable traits in a woman is her being unattainable and emotionally unavailable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really dig that I don't know her last name or what her face looks like. Uh, the episode ends here with uh, Marionette confessing that she deleted Alia's video and Alia being like, it's fine, I already saved the video, this is so not a problem, I wish you hadn't stolen my phone. <laughs> and Marionette says she has a surprise for Alia and is like, oh, go in that building. And in the building is Ladybug, who's willing to give her an interview. And Alia is okay, like, doing this interview with Ladybug while Marionette stands outside, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Not, not, again, not great uh, for secret identity. Yeah, I I love that Marionette, like, as she's, uh, as Alia's leaving, uh, Marionette's, like, running around the corner as fast as she can to try and get outside before Alia gets outside so that she doesn't think that Marionette, like, walked away. <laughs> it's one degree of separation from Marionette just putting on, uh, putting a red sock on her hands, being like, I'm Ladybug. <laughs> Basically. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I did also notice in this one, though, that uh, the voice for Marionette and Ladybug at least in this scene where she's clearly putting on a performance for Alia, there is a slight difference in the way Ladybug talks to the way Marionette talks. It's not super noticeable, but when I heard them right next to each other, uh, it was subtle, but I it seems like the voice actress was making a very intentional choice, and I liked that. Yeah, I didn't really notice that, but I'll definitely go back and look, because, um, I mean... Christina V is just a fantastic voice actor. Oh, yeah. So I think that uh I think that you know, I don't I don't know if you've seen like she has a TikTok where I keep on getting recommended uh voice actor TikToks on my for you page. Of course. Where it's like here's all the characters that I voice. She has like six of them, like six minute long videos and it's just the the character, the list of characters she has voiced just goes on and on and on and each one of them sounds distinct from one another like they all sound like her because it's her voicing them but they sound so distinct from each other and i'm like i don't think there are many people who are on this level like you are (laughs) i think that you're just literally on top of the voice acting world right now (laughs) yeah she's great uh our next episode here is kung food and I know you said you had some thoughts about it. Do you want to <laughs> so, wait until it comes up naturally? So, 
Yeah, we'll just I'll I'll talk about it when we get there, but um it's it's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. This is a weird episode. This is the weird uh, one. Uh kind of a whiplash yeah. going from the the mime to this one. Yeah. Uh, back so, to back. Mm-hmm. So Marionette is by herself having to like greet and entertain a relative of hers that's coming into town uh, who she does not speak the same language as. And I, for the life of me, do not know why her parents left her alone for this. Her mom... Her mom must be able to talk to this guy. Why is Marionette... (laughs) Why does Marionette have to do it? Um, Yeah, like, I would think that they were either at the shop or somewhere in town, like, sh- like getting groceries. Like, wh- those are the two options, basically. Like, wouldn't you make time for a family member who is coming into town that you haven't seen in such a long time if they're only going to be here for a few days and you have time off work anyways? <laughs> yeah, it's very strange that specifically Marionette's mom is not in this episode. Uh, I did yeah. find, you know, Marionette, like, kind of clumsily, like, practicing the... Hold on. I just I can't I can't speak vaguely. I gotta. What what language was he speaking? Was it Mandarin? Um, I think it was Mandarin, but they don't really specify beyond just Chinese. Okay. Well, I think that uh yeah, Marinette is practicing Mandarin on her phone, and she's being like kind of clumsy, and she's very awkward with the idea of like having to interact with this relative she doesn't know that well. And I actually did find it a little endearing. I guess, like, I empathize more with the idea of trying to connect with an adult relative you feel really distant from than her yeah. usual boy-crazy boy spiel. Um, also, yeah, it was a lot more relatable, especially since he seems kind of aloof, too, in that sense, where he doesn't really know, like, what to say to her. He's, like, yeah, yeah. he's just in a quiet, and I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what would happen if I was meeting an uncle that I have never seen before yeah. uh, in such a long time. So Marinette's great <laughs> uncle is visiting her and they can't really talk to each other because she only speaks French and he only speaks Mandarin. Or so we think. Uh, because Alia... Uh, or, I'm sorry, correction. She only speaks English, according to this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. There, there's some... They keep on saying English and I'm like, so is this just an alternate universe where everyone in France speaks English or... <laughs> yeah, I mean, Marinette's phone is clearly translating French to, to Mandarin. Um, but there's, yeah. there's some language flip-flopping in this episode. Uh, Alia sends a translator over for Marionette to help her talk to her uncle, and the translator is Adrian. Adrian, who speaks more Mandarin than uh, Marionette, who is herself Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, she the was The class right. divide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit of a class divide. <laughs> Uh, and so, uh, Marionette's un- great uncle is in town because he's a very famous chef, and he's going to this cooking competition at the hotel that Chloe's dad owns. And on the car ride over there, Marionette is uh, still trying to talk to her uncle using Adrian as the translator. And Marionette's uncle does speak a little bit of French or English in this case. And uh, in the dub, him trying to speak English uh, sounds like when I tried to speak French. It's very, uh, non, non, pas mal, mon français, mal. <laughs> it's just it's very <laughs> like that. Um, so when they get to the hotel, like, everything's being filmed, it's a cooking reality TV show, and 
Chloe is there, and Chloe's just, like, blatantly racist? Racist? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is what I wanted to talk about. So, um, it's, it's, or this is the first, like, point that I want to talk about, because it does, like, factor in later to something that I thought was very, very odd about Kung Fu, like, as a villain. But Chloe just, like, straight up can't tell the difference between, like, Chinese and Japanese culture, like, at all. And Adrian is like, uh, hey, that's kind of messed up, because she says, uh, why is he, like, making a soup, blah, 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 it's not a main course, whatever, he's not gonna win. Why? She says, why can't he just make sushi like everyone else? And Adrian is like, Chloe, Japanese people make sushi, he's Chinese. <laughs> and in my notes, I just put, oh, so she's racist, racist, huh? <laughs> Yeah. And like, like, hey, hey, Adrian, I know you mean well, but like, the fact that she confused Chinese and Japanese isn't really the problem with what she said. There are, there's yeah. a bigger problem. Yeah. yeah, there's a much bigger problem here. Um, but it's, it's important, I get, for my, for my next point, which I will, I will come to later because I want to go like somewhat chronologically. They make like a point though of distinguishing, like, Chinese from Japanese culture, mm -hmm. <laughs> and making a point to make sure that you do understand that he is Chinese, <laughs> uh, which sort of muddles his character design, which is very much Japanese. <laughs> well, well, hold on. Um, hold on, let's wait until we get there, because I actually did a little yeah. bit of research, and uh, I have some things that might, uh, that might explain that. So okay, good. Because <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, Thomas made a whoopsie. Um. <laughs> In this conflict here where Chloe's just being so racist, this is one of the few times where Marionette just immediately sinks to her level and starts, like, insulting her clothes, like, says her outfit is ugly or something. Yeah. Which is weird for Marionette. Marionette doesn't usually, like, bully people for their appearances, but considering she's just- she's dealing with this- this sprawl of microaggressions from Chloe, it's, uh, <laughs> you, you gotta cut her some slack, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then we have the actual competition. Now, because Marionette and Chloe got into this fight where Marionette, you know, broke for a second and genuinely said something mean, um, while the uncle is making the soup, Chloe sneaks into his kitchen and sabotages it. He's, it's, she sabotages uh, his entry for the competition just throws some spices in there and like again says says some terrible things <laughs> says some terrible things to him on the way out she's she's chloe being chloe and at the competition mm -hmm. uh he she performs very badly because his soup was sabotaged and chloe makes a big thing of like not even trying the soup because she knows it's going to be bad uh, also the announcer is also a judge he gets a vote <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, he's heartbroken, you know, that he lost his competition. It was so important to him. And Chloe and Adrian, of course, immediately uh, suspect him. And even though Chloe, like, Marionette thinks that Chloe might have pulled some shenanigans here, the uncle is very, he, he just feels, like, very personally, did he feel personally ashamed or did he maybe, like, blame Marionette a little bit? I can't quite it, remember what the he, exchange was. He, he felt personally ashamed. He felt like it was a personal failure of his. But then he is like, 
oh, wait a minute, no, Chloe did do that. Yeah. He, like, goes... <laughs> like, immediately after, before akumatization. Right. He goes into the kitchen, he realizes what Chloe did, and he... Then that's the thing that pushes him over the edge and gets him akumatized. Also, uh, ew, a language thing here. When he's alone, he speaks in broken French or English to himself when he's alone. With... They could have just put subtitles, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, come basic, on. Basic, basic sentence structure, teach kids to read a little bit better. Yeah, and, like, even if you don't, even if you don't use subtitles, I feel like you'd get it, right? Like, he's getting akumatized, yeah. we understand. Even if it was just, like, one sentence that was said in, like, a sad tone or whatever, or an angry tone before he was akumatized, I think that would have worked better. <laughs> Yes. So, but he is akumatized, and he is turned into the villain Kun Food. Now, you had thoughts on his character design, but let me put this up front. Yeah. Let me put this up front. Supposedly, this design is supposed to be evocative of Sun Wukong, Monkey King. The character Monkey King is from Journey to the West, which is a Chinese novel. Now, I know that everybody who sees this design thinks, that's Goku! But <laughs> the thing is, Goku, the the character, is actually also supposed to be modeled on the Monkey King from a Chinese yeah. novel. Yeah, so it's, it's, I was gonna say, it's, it's weird because it's like, yes, okay, like, this is a character that is from a Chinese novel, but it's, like, it's literally just... I'm looking at... <laughs> right now, I'm looking at a picture of Kung Fu, and I have a, a picture of Goku saved as the first image of my calorie roll. It's the exact same image. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just the same image. Like, <laughs> this yeah. is, like, one step away from plagiarism. I... <laughs> But, like, I get that it's definitely supposed to be an homage to Goku. It definitely yeah. looks like it. But we, we gotta keep in mind that Goku is... The, the the whole Dragon Ball Z cartoons, they're supposed to be based off of Journey to the West, which is Chinese. Yeah. And, to be fair, uh, the face paint that he has on looks a lot more like a Chinese opera mask than, like, a kabuki mask, which was... Mm -hmm. Uh, what I saw a couple people on, like, forum discussions and stuff, they were like, oh, like, it looks like a kabuki mask. I'm like, well, not, not really. <laughs> um, it's just weird to me that they would go with the Japanese, uh, interpretation of a Chinese story instead of just the Chinese story, which I mean, I, they do a little bit, I think with, um, with Kim, I think he's, uh, he's got like the little headband thing and stuff when he trans, well, like we'll get there, but it's, it's much more like, it looks, <laughs> looks more like this is just an anime character. I'm looking at an anime character. There's later, uh, there's a later interpretation of a monkey king in the show that is actually not in relation to a Chinese person at all. Uh, but it is, a uh, it, it, it's definitely distinct. It's not at all like this interpretation <laughs> of monkey yeah, this king. weird. Also, he's calling him Kun Food, which is a name that, uh, Hawk Moth gives to him, correct? He doesn't call himself that. Does he? Wait a minute. <laughs> He doesn't call himself that, it's just sort of... 
No, he, he does call himself, himself that like at some chef point. or something. Like, no, I I can't remember if if Hawkmoth says it first or if he says it first. I don't know. I yeah. think I think Hawkmoth says it because he says he says everybody's names when they're kumatized. He'll be mm-hmm. like, Evilustrator. Yeah. Here's your powers. Get me the miraculous. It's definitely. <laughs> it, it would be. It's not super classy <laughs> if, if he does decide yeah, to call this guy uh... kung food. Oh, you're 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 Chinese. You're you're a chef. Kung food. <laughs> um, kung food. I am outing myself as a closeted racist. <laughs> fear, fear my microaggressions. Um, <laughs> uh, but what? Cut food, he can now control people, all the people who drink his soup. He can make zombies, just like the last guy. Just uh, mm-hmm. just like a dark blade, he can also make zombies. He turns the judges into his zombies, and he, what he mostly wants to do here is he wants revenge on Chloe. And so he has the zombies uh, abduct her, which are... Her zombies are Jagged Stone, uh, Mare Bourgeois... The announcer guy, whose name I can never remember, and uh, the chef from the hotel. Mm-hmm. And they all still speak in English, and he speaks to them in English. Uh, it, up at the front, there was a lot of talk about the fact that this guy really couldn't speak French or English, uh, and the fact that, the, you know, it was difficult for him and Marionette to communicate and that language was important. But they just completely throw that away and have him speak yeah. in English for the rest of the, the episode. Speaking perfectly fine, uh, quickly, not really having too much problem with sentence structure and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he, but one thing he has his zombies do in order to trap everybody in this hotel is he has them pour. Is it molasses? He has them like pour it's caramel. Honey. It's caramel, yeah. He has the It's pork. caramel, and it's so weird because Marinette and Adrian are still, like, together when it starts uh, pouring down the side of the, the building, uh-huh. and it's seeping underneath the doors, and Adrian decides to lick this substance that he has seen seeping, that he sees seeping through the door, and says, it's, ca- it, it's, it's soft, it's soft caramel, it has not hardened yet, or cooled. Uh-huh. He licks it, says, it's caramel, tasty but completely indestructible. And I'm like, what on God's green earth has has convinced you that this caramel is indestructible? It is edible. You can eat your way through it if you wanted to. Edible things by by definition can't be indestructible. Um, Yeah, it's it's super ridiculous that he candy coats this building and now they're trapped, but it's ridiculous enough that I'm willing to buy it. (laughs) <laughs> They're trapped in this candy-coated hotel together, and what what Marionette's uncle is going to do is he's going to turn Chloe into soup. He's got the hotel pool filled with soup, he's boiling it, he's adding vegetables, and he's got Chloe suspended over it, and he's going to d- slowly kill and then eat her. Which is such an yes. upped ante compared to some other villains this season who just wanted to sabotage plays or throw parties. Like, this guy yeah, wants to like, eat a child. Evilustrator <laughs> was like, I'm an incel and I want a girl to notice me. This man is like, um, I'm resorting to cannibalism. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I win the evil, the evil competition. Yes. <laughs> uh- Marionette and Adrian find excuses to separate from each other and uh, both transform and then reconverge as a superhero duo. 
And I actually did like their their fight here, uh, where they're fighting. Mm-hmm. It, it was kind of entertaining watching them fight these this, these particular zombies. It just seemed more creative than past episodes. There's one part where Jagged yeah. Stone is uh, attacking them, and there's this moment where Cat Noir says something like, "That's not very rock and roll of you, Jagged," and I. It, it felt like how I would talk if I were a superhero. It felt very down to <laughs> It was a very Spider-Man line. It was like... <laughs> it was... It, it, I liked that whole sequence of them having to, like, find elevators that were working as they climbed the... And it was sort of, like, different levels, I guess, where it was each uh, time they got out, they had to face off against new uh, clones. Not clones? No, zombies. <laughs> Yes, they uh, got Spider Man on the on the mind. Sorry, I'm in, stuck in Clone World. Um, yeah. Once <laughs> um, they find, but it an was elevator, so it was nice. Yeah, once they find an elevator, like Cat Noir hits on Ladybug in the elevator. Like first thing, not not a cool move. Yeah, he does not let up either. It's like <laughs> the elevator stops, and they could be in serious danger. And he's like, I think that the. He like runs his hand through his hair like a like a TikTok e boy. <laughs> I think that the the elevator short circuited because of our electricity together. Like shut up, dude. Yeah, <laughs> you're in the middle of a fight. <laughs> uh-huh. Um the the mayor shows up next and they have to fight him and he's got like a line of sausages that he's using. He's he like knows food martial arts all of a sudden and is fighting them yeah. like that. And unless we're supposed to understand that Mayor Bourgeois, like, in his free time, practices martial arts, this is just an ability that Kung Food has given him, which means they all could have been speaking Mandarin. They don't all need to be speaking English to each other. <laughs> um, but they they fight him, and they win. You know. They win. <laughs> um, <laughs> they win. <laughs> yeah. There was, well, there was something... I feel like I'm forgetting something that happened here in this fight... Oh right, right. Um, yeah, I want. I well, want to mention. Uh, Jagged mm-hmm. Stone did do a Naruto run, so that oh, yeah. that did happen. I did take note of that. They did a Naruto <laughs> run. Actually, I did a little bit of research into Naruto runs. We call it a Naruto run, but you know, it's not actually that, right? It's like the the ninja run. It's the way real actual yeah. ninjas run. It has to do with stealthiness and conservation of energy. I actually watched a video about it. Um... It doesn't make sense why it's including here, but it's actually very interesting if you do research into it. There's this video by the YouTube channel Asian Boss called Japan's Last Ninja Explains the Naruto Run, and it's actually this guy who actually does practice actual ninjutsu and him talking about uh, all these, these different skills he has and a little bit about his personal history and showing off some moves that you might recognize from TV shows like, like the Naruto Run. That he explained yeah. is actually a, a real thing that is practical in some situations. So mm. that's very interesting. Um, this episode, yeah, that is really interesting. This episode is only concluded because uh, Thomas likes shonen anime, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is also why Kung Fu looks like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, this might be the most pun-heavy ep. Like lots of puns yeah. in this one with with all the food play. They really just went all out. Mm-hmm. Chloe comes very close to dying slowly and painfully. <laughs> yes. She's to being, being boiled alive. Mm-hmm. Well, she's being lowered into the soup and they have to fight <laughs> they have to fight like uh, an archer. The chef has, has a bow and arrow and then the announcer has like 
brie stuck to him and is just throwing cheese at them. I, this is like some of the, one of the more silly combat episodes. Everything that's happening is very yeah. It's very action heavy, but also ridiculous, and I do kind of like it. Uh, Ladybug and Cat Noir make it to the roof just in time to save Chloe. She is about to be lowered into the boiling water, which even if that hadn't killed her, would have been bad. It would have been very bad. That was almost... Like, irreversible damage bad. So bad. Uh, They get up to the roof, and they've saved Chloe, and now they can fight Kung Food. Um, I have something in my notes here that I I can't remember clearly. I'm looking through the gallery now on the Wikipedia page. Give me one moment to find it. Because I have written here, Pizza Sword. Ah, here he is. (laughs) The pizza sword. <laughs> he he pulls out a giant. Kung Fu pulls out a giant pizza sword from somewhere, and, and it is huge. <laughs> it is big enough to cut the Eiffel Tower in half. Which is something that we now know, thanks to Mister Mime, is possible. Yes, it needs to happen uh, via the power of akumatization. Mm-hmm. Marionette does her lucky charm here. Do you remember what she did specifically? It had to do with the cell phone. She. Oh no, it wasn't a cell phone. It it was a. It was like a. <laughs> It was a calculator of some kind that, like, printed receipts, and she used the really long paper to wrap him up or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Listen, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. <laughs> it's fine, though. They find his Akuma, they destroy it, he's de he's fine. Uh, what, now, what with, what with all the supervillainy, they've decided <laughs> to let everybody do a do-over. Uh, they've decided to just let him make his soup again and judge it without Chloe. Because I guess... I, I, I don't remember if, like, Chloe confessed or if they just knew because he told them. But after all of this super villainy, they decide to just start over. Yeah, they give him a fair a fair shot. Mm-hmm. And he kills it. And now his soup is going to be at the hotel. Yeah, and they, and they show Marionette and her uncle cooking together, which is one of these... Scenes that I actually think is undercut by the fact that they keep insisting that he can speak English because cooking is one of those things that you can share with someone in silence. And yeah, I think I think Adrian does cooking say transcends that... language. It is its own language. It's... <laughs> yeah, I think Adrian either says something along those lines, but it's a little undercut by the fact that they keep making this guy speak English throughout the episode. Yeah, would have been better <laughs> if he didn't. Yeah, uh, Chloe's still racist, but he, they they rejudge the, <laughs> the soup, and uh, he wins, and he becomes a a renowned chef, and he's very happy. And I think he even name the soup gets added to the hotel's menu now, and he names it after Marionette. Does he something like that? I just watched it, I just watched this episode yesterday, and I can't remember if that was like the <laughs> the the emotional conclusion. Yeah, to this whole. <laughs> Thing. Yeah, she she connected with with her family member, and it, it, it's great in the end. Yeah, and her and Adrian share soup. <laughs> yeah, the the end card is like uh, him serving them soup, basically. Yeah, with someone's giant head in the background, because there's always a giant head in the background of those things. <laughs> so, oh yeah, there were two giant heads in the background of this one. <laughs> Lots of giant heads, <laughs> but that is all three episodes. All three wonderful, sometimes not so wonderful, 
episode. I think I, I think I know the answer to this, but uh, what was your favorite of the three? Oh, uh, the mime, absolutely, mm, absolutely yeah. mime. I love I love the mime episode because it was campy and cheesy in just the right way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, very. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, honestly, even though uh, even with all the dispersions I threw at it, I think that uh, my favorite was actually Kung Fu, just because, like I said, the action was sustained and so silly. The action in Kung Fu was better than the action in the mime, uh, but in terms of writing, I think that the mime is better. Mm, yeah. Um, well, we uh, actually got a message over Anchor from a listener. We actually got this message a while ago, but at that point, we had already recorded a couple episodes, so we couldn't include it until now, and here it is. Hi. I'm probably that one listener from Israel you saw on Spotify. First of all, I want to say it feels a little strange you can only be contacted by voice messages, but I'll give it a try. I really like your show, your energy, and your banter, and also the things you chose to analyze and discuss. I can hardly wait for more episodes. I've only started watching the show a couple of months ago, but I'm already caught up. Regarding what you said in episode 3 about other podcasts, you might want to have a look at the overly animated Miraculous Ladybug podcast, as it's been running for 4 years now. I'm not saying that to discourage you, but because you wanted to know what else is out there. Keep doing what you're doing, I really love it, and best of luck, Shmuel. That was so nice, Uh, thank you so much, and if you have- thank you so much. Yes, if you go to Anchor, where this podcast is hosted, you can send us a voice message. Please send us your best food pun for if you were one of Kung Fu's zombies. <laughs> Please tell us what kind of food-based weapon you would utilize, and what you would say when attacking teenagers with it. <laughs> Good. Uh, such an odd request. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, and also, while you're leaving us messages, you know, uh, le- leave a review. Uh, leave it, rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Because next episode we're going to be talking about the episodes uh, Gamer, Animan, and Antibug. Do you remember anything about those episodes, Ava? I remember Gamer, but I didn't remember it was just called Gamer. Yeah, just Gamer. <laughs> oh my god. Very utilitarian. Gamers rise up. Mm-hmm. Uh for this very special episode of Miraculous Ladybug. <laughs> the gamers rise. <laughs> well, uh, Paris has been saved, Ava. Yeah, let's do the thing. Okay. Pound it. Pound it. <laughs> Excellent. It that gets... sounded like it was in sync on my end, but I don't know if there's like a delay on your end. <laughs> that sounded like that was in sync on your end? Oh, there's a yeah. major delay. <laughs> 